Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Reading from Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you all know this, but this transition was carefully planned. He's dressed to the nines. Greg always is. I wasn't going to stand up here next to him, right? Not only that, he's 6'2 and dressed a lot better. Thank you, Greg, for reading the word this morning. It is great having you at church. Um, And initially I thought with all this rain coming that like the setup team's going to get everything in here and have to battle the wind and the rain and we actually got it in here before all that happened. You all battled the wind and the rain and you're still here so great job uh, for being here and um, we are going to, before I jump into today's uh, message, I thought I just wanted to take a time to pray and Wanted to pray, Mark's not here. Mark's on a, a guy's weekend, a group of guys that he's been connected with. And they're actually like on a river or hopefully getting off the river and driving back. That is all to say, we just need to pray for their safety um, as they get back and are with their families. And let's just lift up our hearts as we prepare to hear God's word this morning. So I invite you to pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. A love that is so great that you did send your son, Jesus Christ, to to live among us, to die for us. But the grave could not contain him, Lord, that he was resurrected and alive. Lord, thank you for your word that was just read, your living word. And our hearts, and we just pray that you would open our hearts and prepare to hear it, what you have for us this day. And as we can hear the rain right now, Lord, we just pray that we will be refreshed, that our souls will be refreshed, especially tackling this tough topic today, 
the toxin of unforgiveness in our lives. Lord, we do pray for Mark and, and all of his friends that for their safety on their way back or for anybody else who, who might be traveling this day. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, we're in this uh, series, Soul Detox, and we're talking about different toxins that we carry um, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, things that are holding us back. And today we're going to be looking again at the toxin of unforgiveness. And the toxin of unforgiveness is one that robs us from the life, the full life that Jesus desires for each one of us. And when Mark and I were uh, planning this series out and I knew I was going to be preaching on unforgiveness, I'll just be honest with you. I did not have to look past my own life to know how toxic it can be. Started about 10 years ago. My brother, older brother Jeff uh, had a home theater business. He um, and my little brother Tom worked for him. Jeff is this really gifted a creative mind can build the most awesome home theater. Uh, not only designs it, but builds it. It's just phenomenal. But let's just say he's not the best when it comes to the financial part of it. And that was his struggle. And so after a few very prosperous years, all of a sudden, there were some hard times fell on the business. So my older brother went to my dad, unbeknownst to my younger brother and my sister and myself. And he told my dad of his financial troubles. And so he talked my dad into giving him a very sizable loan, like six figures a few times over. He told him he's going to help get the business where it needed to be, just get through this rough time. He's not only helping him, but he's also helping my other brother. And so my dad did it. And it wasn't too shortly after that that all that money evaporated very quickly. And they had to close the business. Needless to say, when the rest of us found out, one, about the amount, two, how it was then used, all of a sudden, our hearts, and I'll speak for mine, just started filling with anger and bitterness. Like, I could have used like a portion, like a little nugget of that, right? Where's mine, Dad? How could you do this? And my parents, they couldn't afford to give that amount to all their kids. Sometimes as parents, we try to do that to make things all equal. They couldn't do that. They were doing what they thought was right, trying to help two of their, their sons. But from that point on, I'll just be honest, my relationship with my older brother was severely damaged. The anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness was just building inside of us and it was tearing us apart. And over time, it became not less toxic, it became more toxic. I'll return to that story a little bit later. But in our own lives, the current anger and the unforgiveness over what's been done to us or what we've done to others, it has the ability to ruin our lives if we don't take care of it. Even as Christians, even with our belief in the knowledge of God that, that God loves us, that Jesus died on the cross for us, that we are forgiven, and that one day we will be in heaven. We still can be, if we are brutally honest, angry, bitter people, 
living almost every minute defined by our past or maybe past mistakes that we've made. Let's jump into today's scripture. Again, it's out of Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It'll be up on the screens or if you wanna open your Bibles or have it on your phones, whichever. Beginning in verse 21, we read, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? What was Peter fishing for? Was he like looking for a number? Like we all want a rule, right? Like I give, forgive him this many times, then I'm done, right? I don't have to do it anymore. I can either beat him up or do whatever I want to do. And Peter was thinking through, and, and the reason he picked maybe seven was he's thinking back then the Jewish custom, the law was to forgive someone up to three times. So he's thinking, hey, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to double what's required, and I'm going to add one on for good measure. How about seven times, Jesus? Verse 22, Jesus responds, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, there is no limit to the amount of times you need to forgive people. Because friends, there is no limit and grace does not keep score. It just doesn't. And to drive his point home, Jesus says, I'm gonna tell a little story and shares this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all be sold to repay the debt. Now, a lot of commentators have try to figure out what would that amount be, these, these uh, bags of gold. And what they come up, have come up with is roughly $12 million. Don't know how back then, even now it would be hard to, write, to rack up $12 million of debt. I mean, there must have been like some serious embezzlement or something going on in the palace to get this guy to this point. But he has this unimaginable, impossible to pay back debt. And so the king does what's customary at that time. When someone owed a debt, he sentenced them to prison. And not only does that person have to go to prison, your wife and your kids as well. And then if you think about it, if he's in prison, how is he going to pay for it then? And that's part of the reason that there then were later called debtors' prisons. They started filling up and because very few people could live, could leave because they couldn't pay their debts off. This guy had a $12 million debt. And the king says, pay it up. The guy goes, I can't. Off you go. In verse 26, we read that the servant falls on his knees and he pleads before the king. Can you imagine this plea? Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And then in verse 27, we read, the servant's master took pity on him. This mighty king feels compassion towards his servant. This guy who desperately needs to have his debt released. He took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. It's unbelievable. This king takes the hit for, and forgives his debt. No strings attached. It's a gift. In this parable, it, rep, the king represents God. And the grace that he gives to us. And grace is something that we all desperately need. 
but can never repay. We don't deserve it. And you know, there are a lot of different ways if you think about it, this king could have handled this. The king could have said, you know what? I'm gonna cut your debt in half. You only owe me $6 million. I'm gonna be generous. The guy could never have paid $6 million. The king could have said, here's a Dave Ramsey book. You apply the snowball effect, and in 30 years, you won't even be close. Right? No. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He does the extravagant thing. He does the best thing. He does the grace thing. He said, you know what? You don't owe me anything. You're free. How would that have felt? A debt of $12 million completely forgiven. I don't know all of your financial situations, but I'm guessing we all have some sort of amount of debt to have our own debt. And think about that. Our debt is causing us, we're about to go to prison. Our one last chance to make a plea and whoever it is, your creditors, whoever it might be, just says, forgiven, done. Be amazing to experience that much of grace in that moment. It'd be freedom, right? When any amount of debt is, is forgiven, it's like this huge burden is lifted off your shoulders. There'd be freedom, there'd be joy. But as we read in this story, it doesn't last long, does it, for the servant? In verse 28, it says, but when he went out, so he is leaving the palace. He has just been forgiven. He should be going to prison. He's leaving free. He's on this dirt road, finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred coins, silver coins. And at that, what they would say, the value of it today would be $17. He's been forgiven 12 million. This guy owes him 17. Verse 28, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant falls to his knees and begs him saying, please be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that what the forgiven guy did and asked for the master? And then in verse 30 we read, look how this forgiven servant responds. He refused if he, but he refused means he could have, right? He sees this guy was open 17 bucks. He was just forgiven. He could have forgiven him. He had that option. But it says he refused and instead went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This incredibly smaller debt he could not forgive even after what he was forgiven. Then verse 31, we're told that the other servants saw this. So I don't know if they're hiding in the bushes or what. They're seeing this all happen. They go and tell the master everything that had just happened. Uh-oh. Because the master then calls a servant and he says, and how would you like this for the next time you see the master? You wicked servant. I canceled all of your debts because you begged me to. And then, friends, here's the key verse. In this whole scripture, verse 33. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I don't know if you're taking notes, you have your Bible open, anything you can write or highlight that, but this is it. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Here's what Jesus is saying. For those of you who have received and tasted the goodness of, of my grace. He's saying, enjoy it. 
But I also have a simple expectation of you. It's not much to ask when you have been forgiven so much. And here it is. Give grace to other people. You've received it. Give it out. An atheist was once having a dispute or a conversation with a Catholic priest and a pastor from an evangelical fundamentalist church. So we got these three guys having this conversation. And the atheist says, if you don't mind me saying, I view you all impartially from the outside. But it just seems logical to me that the church should exist for those people who need help. And then he went on, he says, the church should be a place where you keep grace on tap. It's a cool image, isn't it? Grace on tap. You think you go into bars and they all the, you know, some of these have just all these taps. You can just pull it, lever down, all this beer comes out. Or even coffee shops now, right? Here in Austin, they got it on tap. Think about that, though, with grace on tap. That you pull that lever and all this grace comes out. Shouldn't the church be a place where that is taking place? Where there's grace on tap, where forgiveness is freely given. Because as a body of believers, we have experienced this type of debt forgiveness. We are to be a people that give grace. The vine needs to be a church where grace, right, is on tap. That needs to be a part of our DNA. In this story, the, for, the forgiven servant received grace, but he didn't want to give it. And then we hear these last two verses, verses 34 and 35. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That last verse is kind of harsh, isn't it? What I think he's saying, though, is that when you refuse to forgive someone, you will be the one who will be tormented. You will be the one who will be tortured. Torture in your heart. You've heard it said, and psychologists have shown it to be true, that when you refuse to forgive someone again, you are the one who suffers. The bitterness grows in you. The other person often at times doesn't even know that you haven't forgiven them. It's not hurting them at all, but it's hurting you. St. Augustine once said, resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. Unforgiveness leads us to one place, and that is to an emotional and spiritual and relational prison. Unforgiveness in the heart can cause a blockage, a spiritual blockage in our relationship with God. So how do we deal with this unforgiveness? Because when we do deal with it, it can be one of the most, by releasing it, one of the most healthy, spiritual healthy things that we can do. Friends, it all begins with our basic need that each one of us to have God's forgiveness. That the guilt, that the shame, that the condemnation from our wrongdoings won't control us, won't paralyze us, won't destroy us. But thanks be to God. 
because of Jesus Christ, that our sin, our sins have been removed from us. We are washed clean. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, we are holy and blameless and free from accusation. And here's what's so awesome about it. It's complete forgiveness. There's no contingencies. There's no ifs. There's no payment plans. There aren't any requirements. Just accepting this free and full and complete gift that God offers us. And we do that by acknowledging our sin through repenting. When we repent, that means we're walking this way away from God. We're saying no longer. It's what we do during our prayer of confession. We turn, God, and we come towards God. And God promises that he will forgive us. Christ died for our sins, all of our sins from our past and all of our sins in the future. What an act of love. And I love one of my favorite verses comes from Romans chapter 8 where it says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So in Christ, you and I can be completely forgiven. Therefore, we must learn how to forgive others even when they hurt us, even when they're completely in the wrong. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. In Colossians chapter 3, Verses 12 through 13, we read these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now think about this. Y'all got up and your clothes are wet now, but you thought about what you're going to put on, right? Before you came to church, that, that clothing aspect of it, I just love that imagery, that we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, we forgive others because we've been forgiven. We forgive other people to show God's love. We forgive others because harboring unforgiveness towards them only hurts our hearts and robs us of life the life that God intends for us. I believe that forgiving others is one of the most difficult aspects of following Jesus. So difficult, we absolutely need him to help us. This kind of forgiving and this kind of love is such a, a great expression of Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives because again, we can't do it on our own strength. And I know you're like me, we've tried. And it doesn't work out. I wanna go back to my story about my brother. I saw this huge damage that was taking place from the, the toxin of unforgiveness, what it's doing to our families. Um, every summer, my whole family still lives up in Colorado. And in the summer times, we would go up to Breckenridge and we'd rent this big house. We called it the big house because we could all stay in it together. Um, and I love that time. So we had this big house. Everybody's together, but there's this big elephant, right, in the room that um, we aren't dealing with. And the resentment for all of us, it just keep, kept building up to the point where we had built walls, to the point where, in a sense, we were stiff-arming, but nicely, right, with a smile on our face. 
but hey, let's all go shopping, but not invite maybe Jeff and his family. We were doing that. I can't imagine how that must have felt for him. His own, his own family. My younger brother, his wife, Tara, and I, my little sister and her husband, we'd all get together and go, you know, those powwows, those little conversations, talking about the other person. Can't believe he did this. Can't believe he did that to our parents. Can't believe, can't believe, da, da, da. Money and unforgiveness is such a deadly combination for any of us in our marriages, in our families, in any friendship. You put those two together. Sadly, again, this happened 10 years ago. Sadly, it wasn't until about four years ago. That Tara and I asked God to help us with forgiving my brother. And we had to start with remembering what God had done for us. And we had to remember that we needed grace just as much as he did. We had to let him know. We had to let my parents know that what they were doing was out of love. We didn't expect anything from them. Not only did forgiving him free us, it restored and healed our relationship. It's incredible now. I love my brother. And you know what? The unforgiveness is gone. So why forgive? We forgive because God has forgiven us. We forgive because it's not an option. God doesn't say, if you feel like it, forgive them today. Or if they start acting better, forgive them. Or if they try to repay, forgive them. No, it's it's a command. It's an expectation. And forgiveness demonstrates God's love to others. More powerful than anything else that we could do. Forgiveness frees us from our past. Friends, we don't have to be defined by our past any longer. And forgiveness can make us whole. So not only do we want to point out the problems of the toxins that we're dealing with, Uh, during this series on soul detox, but we do want to help give life to one another. And so here are a couple practices for all of us in forgiving others. Number one, just gratitude for God's forgiveness. Take time daily to thank God for forgiving you. It all starts there beginning with his forgiveness. Secondly, I encourage you to write the person's name down. And then I just put time 77. Not to say, remember to forgive him 77 times. I think there's another way that you can look at the number. In one part of scripture too, it says um, 77 times seven. So it's like 400 and something. I'm not good with math, but let's just go with that number. 490 or something times. Um, anyway, the reason I'm having you, us to put, put, do that is because there are times where you can't say, well, okay, Ted, I'm going to forgive him when we sing our last worship song and it's all going to be better. 
Because we know that when there are deep-seated things, when we have been hurt, when we have been wounded, when we have been carrying something around for many, many years, yes, we begin with that initial time of forgiveness. But you know what? Maybe later today, maybe later this week or next month, these emotions, these words, we hear stories, all of a sudden all these emotions start flooding back. And if we're not careful, that wall can start being built up again of resentment, of bitterness. And we gotta once again go, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive 75th time. I forgive the 490th time. And we keep forgiving in a sense till, till that sticks, till we're not defined by our past and we've forgiven. The third one is accountability. I just wanna encourage you to share with someone who you're gonna forgive, not as, 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 a, as a way of gossip, but as a way of that they can keep you accountable, they can encourage you, and most important, they can pray for you. It's hard to do. Not called to do it alone. As Mike said earlier, we're following Jesus together. Accountability. And lastly, is to tap into God's power and strength. Again, we cannot do it on our own. But friends, as we approach Easter, just a couple weeks away, the same power that we are going to celebrate that raises Jesus from the dead is at work in our lives. It is that power that we're calling on. Say, God, help me to forgive. Help me. That's the power in our lives to give us the strength and the courage uh, and the grace that we need. Friends, when we understand just how much we've been forgiven and how much we are constantly in need of God's grace in our own lives, is then we'll be able to forgive. So again, my question to, for you is, who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that God is leading you to offer forgiveness to? It's not easy, but it's a step that we all need to take as we are detoxing our souls, as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. Let us pray together.